to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, page 448 in your pew Bibles if you choose to use them. Music is an integral part of the human existence. It's, it motivates us, it calms us, it inspires us. And sometimes if you're into like angry rocker kind of music, it irritates us. And it, it, it basically becomes the backdrop of our entire lives. Songs can bring back, if, you, if you're like me, certain songs will bring back vivid memories. I remember high school dances and certain music, whether it be, you know, dancing to Chicago, you're my inspiration. Too old. Um, But it will bring back certain places, people, events from our past, and they serve to even kind of document our thoughts, our feelings, and emotions at any time. For the next three months, we are going to be diving in deep into the Psalms. And we are going to be looking at how these psalms that God has given us serve ourselves and our body. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? Reading Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not, will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So for the next uh, 10 plus weeks, we're going to be spending some time wandering around the Psalms. There's, we're not going to go uh, in a absolute numeric order because that's not how the Psalms are, are written. They're not like a, uh, how you read through the book of Romans. The book of Romans kind of builds, starting with one, it goes all the way through the end. And it, you kind of got to understand the book, you've got to understand Paul's progression through the book of Romans. The Psalms are not like that. The Psalms serve as for Israel and for us, they serve as like a, a songbook where you can go to different sections at different times and there's not necessarily a progression leading up to a, an end, even though Psalm 150 is a great capstone to it all. So we're, we're going to be looking through this ancient songbook and see how it is relevant to our lives. And I'm I'm sure you're going to find certain passages and psalms that are really going to resonate or have resonated with you. But to make this more meaningful, I'm going to give us a summer challenge. Miss you today, church. Uh, We are going, for this summer challenge, for the next three months, I'm going to put this out there. We are together going to be memorizing two psalms. Two psalms. We are going to be memorizing Psalm 1 
which is easy. And we are also going to be memorizing Psalm 34. So I'm going to put those out there right now. And uh, you'll also find out in social media through uh, Facebook and wherever I choose to put it out. There's going to be also an opportunity for us to read through this summer all 150 psalms. So uh, by the end, that means that we're memorizing two psalms, uh, which is going to be easy. We're going to try to do it three verses a week. For those of us who are getting a little older, it's harder to kind of make it stick. Three verses a week, and then we're going to be reading 70 verses a day for five days a week. Easy, it's going to help you in your devotional life to get into the Psalms and make things really start to click. So, that's what we're going to be doing. Psalms for the summer. Before we jump into Psalm chapter 1, I feel like I need to kind of give you an introduction to this book of Psalms. There are 150 of them to read through. Does anybody know what is the longest one? 119. And it is a strong one. Psalm 119. Because it... We'll get to that some other day. The focus of this book of the Psalms is particular, particularly special because it has a, has a focus. It is a collection of songs that are, uh, are an expression of the heart of a man spoken to God about himself or to others about God. So it's, it's a song. And you'll find a wide arrangement of, of different emotions that are found in this scriptural songbook. Every imaginable emotion that the human can experience is found in this songbook. It gives expression. This book gives expression to what we actually feel. And it reminds us also about what God is like. And so it's, this book is especially important for those times when you feel yourself on an emotional roller coaster or even in just those planes, the planes of life, saying, God, what is up? Where are you? The psalm gives voice and words to those emotions and feelings. It's a book of poetry. One of the key keys to interpreting this book, and one of the reasons that it is such a powerful book is the simple fact that it is a collection of poetry and a collection of song. As a result, this book speaks to the mind through the heart and emotions. This book is more than just feelings and more than just thinking and more than just a response to analysis. To capture this, various authors use metaphoric language. Like, the Lord is my rock. Is God a rock? No. The Lord is my rock, and he is my fortress, and he is my deliverer. They also use hyperbole. Hyperbole is going above and beyond what is to, to, to try to make a point. My tears have been my food day and night. Gross. But it's trying to communicate something. They often, the writers often use parallelism which is a literary device to say two things, in, say the same thing in two or three different kinds of ways. For example, it's one thing to say God is revealed in creation, but it's a totally different way thing to say in Psalm 19 to say this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His handiwork. 
day-to-day pours out speech and night-to-night reveals knowledge. Each line parallels the other and they communicate the same point over and over. And there's different kinds of psalms that we're going to find. There are psalms of lament. Americans aren't very good about lamenting. We would much rather uh, sing songs about happiness and joy. But the psalms are filled. There are at least 60 psalms filled with individual and corporate lament. They express struggles and they uh, express pains and disappointments. How hard life can be. A good one is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget, forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that? How long, O Lord? There's psalms of, of thanksgiving. These express gratitude to God. Give, how about this one? Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. To you our vows be performed. O you who hears praise, to you shall all my flesh come. I, I'm thankful for your work. Psalms of thanksgiving. There are psalms of praise. These psalms sip, simply extol the beauty of God, the power of God. God is simply to be worshipped because of who He is. He is God. They're psalms of salvation history that tell the story of what has happened in the past. He has done mighty deeds of salvation. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. That's what we do as a community, right? We want to tell our story to our children and to our children's children so that these stories of God's hand would be told for generation to generation to generation. They're psalms of celebration for special occasions, for, for when they would coven, make covenant renewals, for when there are royal psalms about the kings, there's enthronement psalms about when a king takes his place, there's city of Jerusalem psalms In each case, there is a special moment that is required thoughtful praise of God. There's psalms about wisdom. It almost sounds like the book of Proverbs because they feel like a kind of sage advice or counsel is being given. Listen to Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like grass and wither like a garden herb. Hmm. They're psalms of trust that express God's faithfulness, His care for His children, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So there's many different kinds of psalms as we read through the 150 psalms. See if you can start identifying, what kind of psalm is this? When should my heart be singing this psalm? But what do these psalms help us do? Psalms are are helpful to us in ways that are different and special. Different than other kinds of books in the Bible. 
I love reading compelling stories of the Old Testament. I love hearing about the the times of the judges or the times of the kings, seeing God's hand in Exodus of saving his, his children from Israel. I love the wisdom of the Proverbs. I even love how they are written that there are 31 Proverbs, kind of timely for the kind of how many days are in a month. You could read a, pro, a chapter, a day, for a whole month. I love the fire of the prophets. I love the stories in the gospel about Jesus' life. I love the logic of Paul's letters as he writes to the church in Romans, in Rome, or how he writes to the church in Ephesus. But there's something very special about the Psalms. And there are three things that I think are very unique to the book of Psalms. One, reverence. The Psalms show us how to get our upward focus right. The Psalms always have a tendency to say, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. They help us to become what God made us to be. And God has made us to be worshipers. So he's always, the Psalms always do, hey, get, off, get your eyes off the things of this world and look up to the God who is enthroned. So there's reverence. There's also relevance. The Psalms fit our lives. They fit like a glove. Through every situation in your life, in my life, there is a psalm that speaks directly into the emotions that are flooding your soul. Every psalm speaks, and it's relevant to your day and your time. But they also help us in reflection. You like how I'm doing the three R's? Did you pick that up? Reverence, relevance, and reflection. The Psalms help us to think about life. The difficulties, the joys, and they help us to see them in new and fresh ways. They help us to deal honestly with our real emotions. They help you deal with what is flooding your soul. But then what do they do? They turn us back to where we need to be headed. So this book connects us to God like few others. And this is why I love the Psalms. The Psalms are real, they're honest, they're gutsy, they're glorious, and they are awe-inspiring and beautiful songs about living life for the glory of God. There really is a song for every season. So we come to Psalm 1, which... It's kind of timely. If you remember last week, we looked at Jeremiah 17. And you're going to see common themes here that we saw. Because in Jeremiah 17, if you remember, there was, uh, Jeremiah was saying, hey, there's a brush living in the desert. Or you could be like a tree next to these streams. What do you want to be? And here Psalm Psalm 1 is asking this question, which way will you live? And it starts off, the Psalm Psalm 1 is not just the first psalm, it serves, serves as a thematic introduction for the entire collection of psalms. It's the one that says, hey, let's start off this way. And I'm going to start off with a question. 
The themes within this first psalm are picked up and carried throughout the entire book of Psalms. And they, they, the main thought creates an apt prelude. If you grew up in kind of a uh, more traditional church, there was always a prelude. You know, you walked in quietly because grandma was playing on the organ and playing a prelude to kind of set the tone of your heart. And that is what this psalm is doing. In a healthy, uh, helpful introduction, uh, Tremper uh, Longman III, an associate professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary, he said this, Psalm 1 deliberately draws two portraits in our minds. The portrait of the wicked man and the portrait of the wise man. The question is then posed, which are we? As we enter into the sanctuary of the Psalms to worship and petition the Lord, he asks, whose side are we on? Whose side are we on? And the question is relevant this morning. The first psalm lays out God's prescribed way of life, and it asks, which way will you live, people? Or whose side are you on? And there's two paths in, in this life. Not three, not four, not a million different paths. There are just two paths in this life to lead to two different kinds of lives. And only one of them leads to the favor of God. Only one. There's only one way. And for that matter, the rest of the Psalms are, are really only written to express the heart of the kind of person who is on the right path. So this psalm serves as an introduction, some instructions, and also some very clear warnings. And there's three important things that we are going to see in this psalm. Number one, the first thing that we are going to see is the favor of God. The very first word of this psalm is probably one of the most important. It is the word blessed. Or blessed. And it is a loaded term. Blessed is a, a Hebrew word that means happiness, bliss, joy, satisfaction. The idea is not so much that a person receives blessings. Rather, it means that the person has found out what is really worth living for. That's what this is about. It's not just about, look at all the cash I get. Look at all the things that I get. But blessed is the man who discovers the right path to walk. They found the true essence for true living. And this kind of living leads to great joy. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. 1 Kings chapter 10 echo, echo, echoes the, the Queen Sheba's observations. Listen, this Deuteronomy 33. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Happy are you, because why? You are walking the path of righteousness. 1 Kings 10, Queen Sheba says, Happy are your men. 
Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Therefore, blessed means a person who has discovered what life is really about, where true, lasting happiness lies, and what is really meaningful. So friends, if, if I hear you say, oh, she is so blessed, I should slap your hands. Get it right. A truly blessed person is not one that has a bunch of kids. A truly blessed person is not one who is financially set. A truly blessed person isn't one who has found themselves in marriage forever and ever and ever, and this person is just the joy of their life. Yes, that is a great thing. But a truly, biblically blessed person is a person who understands the true sweet spot, the true meaning of life, what it really means to be alive. It means that they have found the favor of God. And actually, this word blessed in the Hebrew is a plural word, which, which means multiplicity or an intensification of blessings. So this first verse might be correctly translated as this. Oh, the blessednesses, the blessednesses of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, there are all kinds of blessings wrapped up when you live and understand where true life and true meaning, it's not just like you got a blessing. It is like it's, it's multiplied and it's intensified. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger when you get closer and closer and closer to that sweet spot of discovering God's favor. So first, there's, there's the, the beauty and the power of discovering the favor of God in this psalm. But quickly, the psalmist goes, but there's two different paths that you need to understand. The favor of God involves being on the right path. And the psalmist clearly sets up a clear contrast to bring to light the remarkable difference between these two different ways of living. The path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. Let's start off with the wicked. Bad news first, right? The psalmist begins with the negative of the path that is not blessed by giving us a set Three sets of three. Walk, stand, sit. Counsel, way, seat. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. And this is an example of just Hebrew parallelism that we talked about before where the same thing is said three different ways. So don't make too much of the specifics as if it's trying to uh, communicate a progression of sin, whether it does or not, that doesn't really matter. This is poetry. This is poetry. The intent here is to simply identify that there are three different aspects of departing from God's path. Walking in the counsel of the wicked, embracing a wrong way of thinking, sitting in the way of sinners, joining the wrong crowd, sitting in the seat of scoffers, adopting a sinful attitude. 
There are three ways of conformity into the world's system. But then there is the way of the righteous. This other path is remarkably different, and it centers on the importance of God's word. The righteous path is marked by a right desire and a consistent commitment to the word of God. The right desire leads to right actions. His delight, delight, his delight is in the, what? Law, the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves the instruction of God's word. This law refers to the entire content of this book. It's not just the Ten Commandments. This is the law of the Lord. And what does he do? He delights in it. He, he delights in it more than he delights in his wife. He more, delights in it more than he delights in his work. He delights in it more than he delights in his, his leisure activities. He delights in the law of the Lord. And what does he do? Not only does he delight in it, it goes on to say, and on his law, he what? He meditates on it. How often? Once a week? Day and night. That is crazy talk. Right? Some of you go, I don't have time for that. Ah, but if your delight is in the law of the Lord, you will find yourself meditating on it day and night. This man, this person that they're speaking about is lingering, thinking about it pondering the meaning and the application of God's word. I am just pouring over this. I'm reading the prophets. I'm reading the Psalms. I'm reading the Gospels. I'm reading the epistles. I'm reading the words of prophecy. I am just meditating on it. And I am on the path of righteousness. The picture here is a person whose affections are remarkably different than those of the wicked. Because this, he actively is pursuing, pursuing knowing God's word. His, his joy in God, his joy in God leads him to joy in the word. If some of you are here this morning going, I just don't get it. This book is hard for me. There's big words in here. The, it's this, the themes of it. I just don't get it. Do you know what? You have brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk with you. Do not find yourself getting lazy if your desire is to meditate. Meditate with one another. Read it out loud with one another because, friends, this is how we find our greatest joy because our greatest joy is God, and this is how he has revealed himself in his word. Joyfully pursue God through his word. But there's a third thing that we can see here. There's two, not, not only are, are there two different paths, there are two contrasting conditions. The difference between the two paths is not just motive and action. The two paths lead to two very different outcomes and conditions. The contrast is between a well-watered, uh, persevering tree 
and a flighty, worthless shaft. It is between a way of life and a way of judgment. So we start off with, what is true living? That's the first thing. A person who has the right delight in God, His Word, and His ways is like a tree that perseveres through every single season of life. Because why? Their roots are going down deep. Notice the parallelism. He's planted by streams of water. He's yielding fruit in his season. These leaves do not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. He or she has a spiritual rootedness that provides great strength and great hope in times of dryness, in times of trouble, in times of joy. That person is finding their delight in God because they are like a tree planted beside this this stream of water. This person has found the path of what life is really all about. This person has found favor in God. But then there is the second condition. In contrast is the, the life of the wicked. And with a blunt statement, the psalmist identifies the wicked, that the wicked are not like the righteous whatsoever. The wicked are not so. Mm-mm. You can almost see the psalmist go, Mm-mm. they are very different. It's like night and day, two totally different circumstances. Instead of a tree that prospers, the tree that bears fruit, whose leaves are, are green and glorious and beautiful, Instead of that, the wicked are compared to the part of a corn or or, or wheat that is thrown up in the air and is blown away and is separated from what is really valuable. It is rootless, it is weightless, it is flighty, it is light, it is useless, and it is what his or her life is really like. Apart from God, apart from God, friends, a life is hopeless, meaningless. And some of you know exactly what it is to live like this. You've seen how fleeting the pleasures of this world really are. And you've seen it blow away. And there's been times when you feel like you are spiritually lost at sea. And there's this nagging sense that there must be more to this life than just working. There's got to be more to this life than just being in a relationship. There's got to be more than life than just going to school. There's got to be more to this life than just being a mom. There's got to be more to this life than just being a dad. There's got to be more than Sunday than just showing up. And Psalm 1 puts words to what you feel and what you know to be true. And so where do these two paths lead clearly they do not lead to the same outcome the paths and conditions part ways and it's recorded in a sober summary in verses 5 and 6 the wicked have no part in God's presence both now and in the future therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous 
even now there are, there's probably for some of you an, a real awkwardness and uncomfortableness even being here in this worship service because you know you just don't fit. This is not a natural place for you to be. And you're hearing these words and your heart is struck and you're going, I don't belong here. Or he's talking about me. That feeling is an early warning sign, friends, of what is to come. And the end game is listed in verse 6, isn't it? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. means that God is personally involved in caring for, protecting, loving, and cherishing His own. He's the shepherd that we'll learn about in Psalm 23. He's your caregiver. He's your Father in heaven who is loving and caring for you. He, he is our God, and we are His people. But the wicked, my friends, are on a different path. While the righteousness are, are known, loved, protected, and cherished, the way of the wicked leads ultimately to doom and destruction. Because the psalmist says the way of the wicked will perish. Do you know that Psalm 1 is not the only passage that talks in this way? Jesus uses a similar metaphor about the narrow and the wide gate to describe the way of eternal life through Him. Listen to this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are many. It's a description of our world, isn't it? Just take the easy path. You be you. That's what the world says. The gospel says, don't do that. Don't be you, because your heart is deceitful. Your mind is lying to you. Don't be you. Let me share the gospel. And then Jesus says, listen, the gate is narrow, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So the real question is really this. Which path, friends, are you on? Every man, woman, and child here this morning needs to answer that question. Every one of you, whether you are a guest or a lifelong member of Missio Dei Church, which path are you on? Which gate are you entering in, the wide or the narrow? Destruction or life? Because the path you are on makes all the difference in this world today and in the life to come. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning that these words will sink deeply into every heart that hears. Every man, every woman, every child who is in different places in their life, Lord, may we ask, which path am I on? the path that leads to life and blessedness 
or the path that leads to death and destruction. The path that leads to you and eternal joy or the path that leads to eternal condemnation and separation from you. Lord, I pray for many fruitful discussions from this sermon, these words this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring fruit from these discussions. And we pray this in Jesus' name.